All right, we're going to continue this morning with uh, message number two in our present series, Entering His Rest. And I've entitled it, Trust Finds Rest. Again, I want to encourage you to buy a mirror Bible. Go on, the, uh, go on Amazon and order it. <clears throat> and study through Hebrews with me this year. I think that you will really enjoy having it. In our first message two weeks ago, we looked at our text, which was found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We talked about the rest of God, how God has entered rest. God rested, which means that he refreshed, he delighted himself, he was radiant. Not only was God radiant, but this was passed on, this rest concerned all of mankind, including Adam and Eve. At the beginning of their existence, Adam and Eve were actually introduced to rest. All of creation was to enter God's rest. Again, the word rest means his delight. He was literally celebrating his accomplishment over the previous six days. When it says that God rested, it means that he was done. He was complete. It was complete. There was nothing more to do. It was like the artist who steps back and looks at a painting and says, you know, there's not another brush stroke. There's not another thing I can add. Nothing to take away from this painting. In fact, if I added one more thing, it would change the very nature of it. It's done. It's complete. And you know, when God said, it is finished, it's done, it's complete, he wasn't exhausted. <laughs> he was just entering his rest as a principle for all of us. For, out, for all of eternity, God was laying down the foundation of how he wanted us to live, and that is in divine rest. He pronounced over each thing that he created, it is good. In fact, over man, he said, it is very good. Look at somebody and tell them, man, you're very good. See, God said that, all right? Now, God saw what Adam would do with this gift and how he would fall and how it would all become corrupt. And before that ever took place, God had already determined, the Trinity had gotten together and determined that they would bleed and die on a cross in order to redeem what Adam and Eve had given up. In fact, to say that Christ came and he died only to forgive sins fails the very plan and, love, plan and love of God for his entire creation. Scripture's clear that the Trinity decided this plan before the foundation of the world that they would redeem man. We could say it this way. You were found before you were lost. You were found before you were lost. If you have a handout this morning, you'll want to write that one in there. That's worth remembering and even writing into the margin of your Bible. You were found before you were lost. That's how precious you are to God. That's how precious I am to God. Before I was ever lost, God found me. Before anything ever went wrong, God had planned my redemption. 
Do you know that before you ever sin, before you ever make a mistake, God's already planned your way out of that? Chances are this week you're going to do something that's not pleasing to God. Chances are this week you will do something that qualifies as sin. Do you know that God's already planned your way out of that? God loves you so much. I've said it before. Your sin is none of Satan's business. When you sin, when you fall, when you make a mistake, God is involved in that. God doesn't leave you. He doesn't run from you. He runs to us. God runs to us and gets into our mess with us because that's how God loves us. We found out that before this fall occurred in Genesis with Adam and with Eve, Adam had had no concept of separation from God. God was Adam's total resource and supply. There was complete peace. Joy was normal. He did not know separation. It was all about done, not do. Now think about Christianity as you know it and as you've been raised with it. Most of the religious training that I had was all about do, not about done. How about you this morning? As you think about your religious training, as you think about your walk with God, is it about done? Is it all about resting? Is it all about what Christ finished for us? Is it that God climbs into our mess and plans to be there with us even before we make a mistake? Or is it about what you have to do to please God, how you have to perform? It was at that very moment when separation occurred that sin entered. Satan said, and here's where sin came in. Watch. Here's where sin entered the garden. Adam, you are not complete, you know. In fact, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you will get something you don't already have. You will become something you are not already. You will become complete. You need something outside of your relationship with God. Sin entered. And religion was invented. Sin was saying, I'm not satisfied with God's satisfaction. There's something else I need to do. And so religion began that day with their separation from God and feeling and thinking that they weren't complete. They were incomplete. There was something else they needed to do. Words like find, seek, chase, run after God all came into view as Adam and Eve had fallen and left the place of God's rest. Fast forward, and here we are, thousands of years later. The Christ, Jesus, has come. He's redeemed all of creation. He's redeemed all of humanity back into a relationship with God. And once more, as our foundation, God announces... I have created a place of rest for you. The most important message you can hear after you first come to Christ is that God loves you and he's created a place of rest. Not performance, not things, not a list of moral do's and don'ts that you've got to obey, but a place of rest out of which you joyously live in your relationship with him. 
All rest, however, has to start with these two things. Write them down. All rest is predicated upon these two things. Number one, understanding your identity in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Look at the words, all have one source. You and Jesus all have one source. You and the Trinity all come from one place. You and God share the very nature, the very essence of all that is the Trinity. When the Trinity decided on that day before the foundation of the earth, That they would redeem mankind and spill their own blood. They reached down through the eons of time into your life and determined you and they all come from the same source. You are one. I am not separate from God. I am not fallen and away from God. I am part of the Trinity. I am part of his heart. Through Christ... I have been redeemed. I no longer live separated from God. I no longer live at a distance from God. I no longer need to perform and get God to approve of me. I am approved in the Trinity. I live in the Trinity. Here's a footnote if you happen to be using the English Standard Version, and other translations may have it. My English Standard Version had a footnote on this Uh, part of the sentence all have one source look at it the footnote says all are from one more literally it could be worded all are from you have God's blood running through your veins you have God's mind Paul wrote in Corinthians you have the mind of Christ Religion always reaches to God out there. Religion chases God. Religion tries to find God. Christianity, following Christ, being a Christ follower, is decidedly different. Being a passionate Christ follower acknowledges that my identity is his identity. I'm one with him already. By what he did and accomplished on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection, I have been redeemed. Back to God. What do I have to do to receive that? What do I have to do to earn that? Hey God, that's a good deal. I want that. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to deserve it. I thought I had to go to church. I thought I had to become part of the choir. And I, I thought I had to... You know, get involved in church ministry in some way. And be helpful. And I, I thought I had to quit smoking. And I thought I had to... How many of you thought you had to? Come on. How many of you thought you had to do something to get approval, to be okay, to become a Christian? To... 
You know there's nothing you can do to become a Christian? In fact, I I want you for a moment just to forget becoming a Christian because Christianity has become as much a religion in this world as any other religion teaching falsehoods about our identity in God. Many Christians have been taught that there's something they need to do, something they need to chase. They have to repent. They have to be good enough. They have to go to church. They have to... There's this whole list, and none of it is the gospel. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Trinity, God, before the foundation of the world, decided to bleed, to die, to shed their blood, and that they would redeem humankind. And when Jesus hung on that cross, he uttered the words, isn't it interesting? Do you remember what he said? Isn't it a lot like what was pronounced by God after creating all of the world and everything and he rested? He said, It is finished. There's nothing yet to be done. There's nothing more I can add to the painting. It is done. God is pleased. Humankind is restored to fellowship with God. And Paul said it this way. Not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but by faith. We are saved by faith through grace and not of works lest any man should boast. See, there's no boasting. Can't stick out your chest, can't boast, can't say, I did that, I accomplished that. I'm good enough. I deserve what God has given me. How many of you know, after going through the last week, maybe the last month, over this last year, you don't deserve, right? You you don't deserve. And that's the beauty of our redemption. That's the beauty of our salvation. That person works on deserving. The one who identifies as being in Christ, whose God God has redeemed, knows it's not about deserving. It's about that I am already one with the Father. Here's the mirror translation of those words. All have one source. Here's the mirror. All originate from the same source. You came from God. You originate from God, and though Adam sinned and was separated from God, Jesus Christ has redeemed you. Now see, that's the good news. When you share the gospel, when you think about telling a friend or a family member the gospel, sharing something about your relationship with Jesus, don't talk about your church. Don't talk about the list of moral do's and don'ts. Don't talk about the things they have to stop doing. Tell them the good news. Tell them that God sent Jesus to redeem them and that God loves them perfectly. It's all done. And that all they need to do is by faith receive what God has done. It's a gift, a perfect gift, a precious gift. The Aramaic translation of this passage says this, perfectly polish the origin of their life by his suffering. Jesus perfectly polished the origin of their life through his suffering. Aren't you glad he suffered so I don't have to? Have you ever taken out a piece of silver that has sat for a couple of years in a cabinet or a drawer? 
Do you remember what it looked like? In fact, it looked like something that you might not be able to use. You certainly would be embarrassed to set it out on a table, would you not? You remember that when you got it out and it was... Oh, I mean, it looked completely separated from what you had purchased originally in this beautiful set of silver that you planned to serve at the best dinners for your treasured guests, right? But how many of you know that silver can be completely restored, brought back to its original beauty if you polish it correctly, if you work that over? Isn't that beautiful how the Aramaic translation says, Jesus, through his suffering, polished our origin and gave back to us everything we were in the beginning. I am not a sinner saved by grace. Not any longer. I used to be a sinner. And yes, I am saved by grace. But my identity is his identity. I don't claim to be a sinner. I claim to be one with the Father. Number two. All rest begins with these two things. First, understanding your identity. And number two, understanding your redemption and the removal of the dominion of Satan. Understanding your redemption from and the removal of the dominion of, and we could say death. Hebrews chapter 2, again, and verse 4. 14, excuse me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Fear is the single greatest motivating force in all of the earth outside of love. I want you to listen to this because I want, I want to comment on some of our current events. May I? Without getting too political, you know that I don't. I, I don't use our pulpit for that. Let me make my statement again. Fear is the single greatest motivating force of the human heart outside of love. One of the most famous rock stars performers, if I were to call their name, you would immediately, everybody in the room, regardless of your age, know who I was talking about, said over this past weekend, I'd like to bomb the White House. I'd like to bomb the White House. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Wow, that's pretty strong hatred. And it's driven by fear. It's driven by a fear that something precious to them has been lost. And what's that tell you? Their confidence is in man, not God. I don't care who's in the presidency. Nothing God has promised me has been lost because so-and-so is elected as president. I'm going to enjoy the fullness of my inheritance and walk in my identity as a child of God because he is my source and my provision. No man is. Now I am going to pray for my president. 
I'm going to pray for his success and believe that as the great... I had never heard until that video, watching the video that we played for you this morning, I had never heard that idea before, that our president presides over the largest business, what, $4 trillion business in the world. (laughs) Well, now, if you just stop and think about that, and you think about the kind of leaders we have had in leadership over our president who are mostly lawyers hello does that tell you anything they're mostly lawyers almost everybody in Congress most of our presidents have all been activists and lawyers and now here we have a 45th president who's a multi-billionaire and manages businesses. I don't care what you think about his personality. I don't care what you think about, you know, this and that, okay? We have a man who has managed businesses all over the world successfully and become a multi-billionaire who's now in charge of a $4 trillion company. I'm thinking, you know, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm going to wish him well. I hope he manages this thing well and makes the best decisions possible to bring this company forward so that it can prosper. But nothing he does and nothing any of the leadership does is going to stop the blessing of God from flowing in my life because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I serve a God who is my Lord and King. No man fills that spot. Then I saw on the news a what had to be maybe nine-year-old, ten-year-old boy starting fires in the street. And when interviewed, Mike was, the mic was put in front of him and interviewed. He said, and I quote, screw our new president. Nine, ten-year-old boy. Now there's some parenting for you. There, there's, some, there's some successful, you know, forward-looking, loving, strong, winning, not to even mention godly or Christian parenting. You don't have to be a Christian to not train your children in that. I mean, you, you don't even have to go to church to not teach your children to say, screw the president. So I'm thinking to myself, what motivates parents to teach their children that? What motivates rock stars and actors in Hollywood to do the things that they're... What motivates people to go out and break windows out of cars and burn businesses and so forth because of what's happened in this election? And I came to realize it's one thing. They're motivated by fear rather than love. Because the love of God would never fill in the blank. The love of God would never. And and so the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2 here, and we read it, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things. He became a human. He lived under Roman rule. He knew what it was like to have to live under decisions being made by governmental powers that were completely contrary 
to love, completely contrary to godliness, completely contrary to the will of God for the earth, murderous, vicious, fallen Roman Empire that Jesus became a human and lived under. But watch, he did this, he took on flesh, he humbled himself that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There's the gospel. God has set you free from every bit of fear. God has set you free and removed the dominion of death. Here's the mirror translation of that. Removed, he's removed the dominion of death. And I love what Francois says here in his translation. Evil is not immortal, love is. Wow, I had never considered that. Evil is not immortal, love is. Wow. The Aramaic translation, which of course is the original language in which the scriptures were written, not Greek, Aramaic, says this. He will inactivate he has inactivated the one who holds the authority of death. Could I ask you once again just to follow with me? Could I get your attention and ask you, because I, I know some of the things I'll share, some of you have no relationship to because they're a little technical, but I used to be a computer consultant before selling my business. And one of the things you learn as a compu computer consultant is that ones and zeros are very important. In fact, spaces are very important. If you are typing something in a computer program or for an address or what have you in the world of computers and you enter one digit wrong or type in a space between two words that shouldn't be there or at the end of the word that shouldn't be there or before the word or the number that shouldn't be there, you can, you can bring down an entire system. You might you might bring down and cause an entire system not to work. So in my training, I learned I had to be very, very exacting. I had to cross my T's and dot my I's and be very exacting. And nine times out of ten when something wasn't working, if I went back, I found out, oh yeah, it was, it's this. I, I didn't type that right. I didn't put this in correctly. I didn't, okay. Now, uh, there's something in the world of computers called a server. Servers, generally speaking, hold great amounts of data, and they make that data available to those of us who are on a computer of some sort, some device, who are accessing that data. In the world of servers, there is a particular kind of server operating system that's called Exchange Server. Exchange server is like the local post office. It's a virtual post office. When it is set up correctly, everybody that is part of Exchange gets an address, an email address. And so when I email your address, it comes to the Exchange post office, it hooks up that address with you and processes it and sends it out to you. Right Now, in this world of exchange server and email addresses, there is an ability 
to disable the account. So that if I check a box, literally, if I just go in and check a box that your account is disabled, you will have no more communication with the exchange server. You will not be able to get any of your ideas through. None of your mail will be passed through. None of it will reach the rest of us. You will be shut down by a single click, just a check box, where I say disable Stephen's account. Stephen, you will now be isolated from everybody else in the community that's connected to that exchange server. How am I doing, Terry? Rough. It's all right. Terry bought my business um, and has continued and has been wildly successful and prosperous with it. Now, we are all on God's exchange server. <laughs> Satan, who had the power of death, used to be on the exchange server when he was called Lucifer. He wasn't Satan, he was an archangel. And he had lots of communication ability. He could reach in to everything just about that God had created. But he fell and he became Satan and he became the owner and author of death and fear. Now the Aramaic translation of what we read here in verse 14 and 15 of Hebrews 2 says that Jesus inactivated the one who holds the authority of death. God went in and checked, checkmarked Lucifer's exchange box. Click. He has no more ability to communicate with you. He has no more ability to get a message through to you. You have to actually listen to those renegade... Oh, I was going to choose a word there and I thought... There's all ages in our congregation, I might have to explain. He has no more right to communicate. His communication ability has been unchecked. He's no longer part of the exchange server of God's love, God's world, God's community. And so if I'm picking up anything that's fearful or violent or you're not going to be success or you, you, you know, you're a nothing or you... If I'm getting any of that, it's coming from somebody who's so totally outside of the community and no longer can reach in, and I have to actually go outside of our community and listen. I have to, I have to purposefully go listen and say, I'll accept that email. I'll accept that message and put it in my own mind. That's how foreign, that's how destroyed, that's how inactivated Satan is in your life. He has no more power no more ability to communicate with you. No more presence in your life. He's been inactivated. Quit accepting his emails. Look at somebody and say, I'm not going to accept his emails anymore. All right. Hebrews 4, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. 
And we're going to close. Somebody read it aloud, please. As soon as you have Hebrews chapter 4, would you stand? Hebrews chapter 4, as soon as you have it, verse 3, stand, and I'm going to have you read it aloud. We can all read that. But. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore into my, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Well, there's a couple of points in there. Let's leave the scripture up. But look at that first part. For we, read it with me. For we who have believed, enter that rest that Pastor Jeff is talking about. That started all the way back in Genesis with creation was redeemed by Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. We have entered that rest. Now, next message, we will deal with the rest of that about the unbelief and what happens. But notice, rest is not inactivity. Rest is not rest from work. Rather, it's while you work, you find rest. See, there's, there's two types of works. There's works of the law, which involve your own effort to please God and your own performance. And then there's works of faith. In other words, receiving from Jesus what he has already completed. And in that, you just rest. You work, you don't give up, you're not inactive, but you work from a place of rest. How many of you understand what I'm saying, okay? We're going to unpack that more next week when we share. You believe and what God has accomplished while you rest in your work, then it works. You simply believe God and what he has accomplished and then you rest in that work. That's your only responsibility. You know, you can rest while you're taking a Tylenol. No, really, you, you can rest while you're, you can rest in God while you're taking a Tylenol. Why? Because when you take that Tylenol, what you're saying is, you're not my source of healing. You're not my healer. God's my healer. And Lord, I just thank you that your anointing's on this. Thank you, Jesus. And you just keep resting. You just keep resting. You know, nothing's changed. You're already healed. Jesus already healed you. So you're resting in the finished work of Christ. That Tylenol doesn't make any difference in that. Thank you, God, for anointing it. This headache will go. You know, sometimes I'll take some aspirin because I don't want to use my faith right now for that pain. I want to use it over here for this. It's more important for, for my faith to be used here than on that pain to try to get rid of the headache. So I'll take some aspirin. <laughs> Pastor Jeff, that's not faith in, for healing. No, it's resting. I don't have faith in healing. I have faith in Jesus. I heard something this morning. I heard something that came out in one of our services, and I, I need to adjust it theologically. You do not put your faith in healing. You do not put your faith in blessing. You do not put your faith in receiving a bigger paycheck. You don't put your faith in the results or the fruit 
of your identity with God. You put your faith and keep it there in Jesus. He is your financier. (laughs) He is my healer. My faith is in him. So anything else that happens from there. All right. I need to stop. I'll stop with this comment. You can fill in the blank there, and then we'll, we'll get to three, four, and five on the outline next week and continue with this idea of unbelief and what it produces and how we are free from it. But uh, I think it's letter C on your outline there under number two, Hebrews 4, 3. Those who believe enter his rest. C, you are not at rest if you are in worry. You can check yourself real quick. If you are in worry about something, you are out of God's rest. It's impossible to be worrying and resting at the same time. You can't be resting in what Jesus has finished and provided already if you're worried that somehow you're incomplete This bill won't be paid. This sickness will never leave. Fill in the blank. It's impossible to rest if you're worrying that you're incomplete. It's impossible to walk in rest if you're you're worried that somehow you you have to do something to please God to get. It's impossible to walk in rest, to enter his rest. There's a rest that remaineth. We'll go there next week. There's a rest that remaineth for the people of God. And we enter that rest through faith and through trust. Simply trusting that what God said he did for us already is done. It's accomplished. There's no more artist strokes that need to be added. Would you stand here? your feet?